let's move on to uh, looking at our pursuit uh, uh, subject then. As I said, we're looking at Tozer. We arrive at this, this, uh, the, the, the subject this week on um, something which is so crucial and central to our Christian walk. What I've loved about this series and loved about reading Tozer is that there are certain things that are good reminders. In other words, truths or the way in which he positions things that I've heard of, but yet probably forgotten or needed a reminder. And then you come up with some gems that you go, wow, I've never seen that like that before. And I'm pleased to say this is one of those chapters. I read it and I was like, wow, I've never seen it like that before. Um, and he starts the chapter by asking us to imagine what would happen if someone who had no preconceptions of the Christian faith, someone that didn't know the Bible, would sit down with the Bible and simply do an exercise whereby they would read through, they'd have a piece of paper, and they would jot down the themes that they would see bubble to the surface. A bit like a word cloud, to use modern vernacular. Of course, in 1948, they didn't have such a thing. But imagine if one to, were to do that, he posits. What would happen? Well, of course, what would happen is the process of working out what we call the doctrines of the faith are, the, 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 the tenets of our belief, those important aspects of our Christian faith. And he says that in that process, high up on the list of things that he would be writing in his word cloud would be this, faith. Faith. We're not surprised by that, are we? High up on the list of his word cloud would be faith. And it would be obvious from this exercise of its high importance. He or she going through this exercise as he goes through the Bible would, would determine that without faith, it's impossible to please God. Wow, it must be important. Then. Without faith, I can't do much because with faith, I can do anything. God can take me anywhere in his kingdom. And, and, and he would discover, he or she would discover that without faith, there can be no approach to God, no forgiveness, no deliverance, no salvation, no communion, no spiritual life at all. Such would be his exercise and the conclusion with which he finds. And then he'll get to Hebrews 11. Who knows Hebrews 11? For those of you who read the Bible, of course, a wonderful chapter of the, the hall of faith, the heroes of the faith. And he would not be surprised by the fact that this whole chapter was about faith. And then maybe after he's read the Bible, he go, oh, this is interesting. Let me read about church history. He would come to the great reformation, the Protestant reformation. And he would say, well, on earth was that all about? Well, it was about capturing by faith in Christ alone, not by works as well as faith, as is that teaching, the, the Catholic teaching those meritous acts that I bring myself. No, it's by faith alone, in Christ alone, his word alone. And he would say, right, okay, that kind of makes sense. Are we all there on the same page? What Tozer is trying to do before we continue, and I think it's important, is to put central in our minds the question and the importance of faith. And so given the agreement that we, I'm sure, have all on the, on the importance of faith, that it is a must in our pursuit of God. In other words, you know, if you signed up for this journey of pursuing God, you must also realize that you need faith to do so. The question that's going to jump to your mind is this. Do I have faith? Do I possess this faith? And then Tozer suggests that if you were to ask that question, 
you would naturally ask a secondary question, which is this. Wait a minute. What on earth is faith? You can't ask that question. It's fine. You can be still a Christian and ask the question, what on earth is faith? Because I'll be honest with you, I think it's quite confusing and complex, actually. Oh, can he say that, the pastor? When you think about faith, in some respects, it's, it feels like quite a nebulous kind of thing, doesn't it? And I think the, the truth is, in Scripture, the reality is, is that no real effort is made to define faith. It rather assumes it that it is there. Now, of course, you'll be saying to me, well, Mark, of course, Hebrews 11.1 1 gives us a definition of faith, does it not? Faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. But the thing about that is that that is quite a functional definition of what faith is. What do I mean by that? It tells you what faith is in its operation. Faith, you can see when you have an assurance of that which you cannot see and belief in something which you cannot see. That's great. But Toza kind of wants to go a bit deeper in this chapter. And I, I'm rather pleased he has done because oftentimes we stay at that place. But he asked the question, but really, what is the essence of faith? Just move away from that, from that functional, operational description of faith. And what is the heart of it? What does it really mean to you and me? And, you know, Tozer makes the point that if you heard a preacher talk about faith, it typically follows a very similar model. The preacher would read Hebrews 11, verse 1, and then he would go on to give you an example of faith in the Bible, and then possibly he would end with some testimonies of people who had faith and saw a miracle. And that's true, but Tozer says, but hey, isn't there more to that than that? What is the heart? What is the essence? And he answers this by taking us to where we're going to land on our scripture this morning, which is Numbers 21 verses 4 to 9. Why don't we turn to that together? Uh, Numbers, of course, is found in the Old Testament. It's going to be on the screen uh, if you're in the room and online. It'll be on your screen as well. We're going to look at Numbers 21 verses 4 to 9. I'm going to read this account to you. From Mount Hor, they set out by the way to the Red Sea, this is talking about Israel, to go around the land of Edom, and the people became impatient on their way. And the people spoke against God and against Moses. Why have you brought us out of Egypt to die in the wilderness? For there is no food and there is no water, and we loathe this worthless food. Then the Lord sent fiery serpents among the people and they bit the people so that many people of Israel died. And the people came to Moses and said, we have sinned for we have spoken against Jehovah and against you. Pray to the Lord that he take away the serpent from us. So Moses prayed for the people and the Lord said to Moses, make a fiery serpent and set it on a pole and everyone who is bitten when he sees it, shall live. So Moses made a bronze serpent and set it on a pole. And if a serpent bit anyone, he would look at the bronze serpent and live. Huh. You ever read scripture and think, what earth just happened there? 
And then you go, I need to find a commentary on that or somebody because that needs some explaining. I'm glad I'm not the only one. I've got some good news for you. Because Jesus himself explained this. Did you know this? Jesus himself explained what on earth happened. And we read it in John 3, 14, 15. And you see, what happens here is Jesus is explaining to the people around him how they may be saved. And he tells them that they may be saved by them believing. And then he references what we've just read, John 3, 14, 15. And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man, that's him, that's Jesus, be lifted up. Now listen to this. That whoever believes in him may have eternal life. Mm, thank you, Jesus. That makes a little bit more sense. You see, that serpent on the, on the pole lifted up was a foreshadowing. It was a pointing towards Christ being lifted up, becoming made sin for us to take the punishment that is due us. That's kind of what was going on there. And this is where Tozer takes it in a direction that, as I said, was new to me and I'd never seen before. He says this. We would notice that look and believe were synonymous terms. Say more, Mark. Thank you. I shout. Looking on the Old Testament serpent is identical with believing on the New Testament Christ. Are you following me so far? I'm going to unpack this. Don't worry. That is the looking with your physical eyes and the believing are the same thing. And so while Israel looked with their external eyes and were saved, we are called to believe as we look to Jesus in our hearts. I love this. Go Toza. Sorry, am I the only one excited? As I say, some Sundays you can be Pentecostal if you wish. I know we're charismatics, but uh, I appreciate the amens and preach it, brother. It's all good. Um, <laughs> I won't get my church discipline book out if you do that. Don't worry. And then Tozer arrived at a wonderful conclusion and summary about the nature and essence of faith. God, this is quite the build-up, isn't it? My word. It's like, when, it's like when you watch those reality shows and they're about to, you know, say who the winner is. And then they pause and the music. We need some music. It's a team when you need them, hey? Are you ready for this? This is where Tozer arrives at the essence of faith. Faith is the gaze of a soul upon a saving God. That was on the screen already. <laughs> I love that. Faith is the gaze of a soul upon a saving God. My word, I love it. You see, we walk by faith, not by sight. We walk by fixing our gaze on Christ not by using our physical eyes. Isn't that good? And then you see, when you realize it, all of a sudden, all those verses that you have hitherto read about looking come into sharp focus in a new way. Let me give you some examples. Psalm 34, 5. Those who look to him are radiant 
and their faces shall never be ashamed. Psalm 123, 1-2. To you I lift up my eyes, O you who are enthroned in the heavens. Behold, as the eyes of the servants look, the hand of their master, as the eyes of the maidservant to the hand of her mistress, so our eyes of our hearts look to the Lord our God until he has mercy on us. What on earth does that mean? It means hear the person, believe it in faith, that God is a merciful God. Looks therefore at that God, at our God, for that mercy and faith comes. Don't you absolutely love this? Thank you, thank you, Richard. Good. Now, what about our Lord Jesus? Look at this one, Matthew 14, 19. Then Jesus ordered the crowds to sit down on the grass and taking the five loaves and the two fish, what did he do? He looked up to heaven. It wasn't some kind of dramatic pause. You can just imagine. That's not what was going on here. Faith is the gaze of the soul upon a living, saving God. You're there. Faith comes. Oh, come on. And you know what it says in John 5, 19, 21, Jesus can do nothing by himself. He can only do what he sees his father doing. Mm, so good. But in addition to the specific texts, the whole word of God points us to Jesus as the originator originator and source of our faith. Who knows Hebrews 12 too? Look him unto Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. Oh my word. From all of this, what do we learn? That faith is not some one-time act. It's not like we're... I sometimes look at faith as some kind of superpower. I'm about to pray for someone. Lord, imbue me with faith. I need faith right now. Come, bring the faith. Sabi, oh. thank you for that co coffee. That double shot was brilliant. <laughs> but Toza makes the point, faith is not a one-time hit. That's my vernacular. It's a continuous gaze of looking into the eyes of Jesus. Did you, you know, most of the time, myself and the worship leaders will have a conversation about what I'm speaking on, and we will talk about the service. That didn't happen this week. And yet, look at the songs we sang. They were all about looking to Jesus, weren't they? And gazing upon him. Ah! When I saw the set list during the week, I'm like, oh my word, that's amazing. So, believing them with our hearts is directing the heart's attention to Jesus. It's lifting the mind to behold the Lamb of God and never ceasing that beholding for the rest of our lives. Now, that sounds great when you're listening to it here in this, in this room, right? And you're like, wait a minute, have you seen my afternoon? I hope you have a good afternoon. You don't know my Monday. And you certainly have no clue about my Wednesday. And if you saw my Thursday, and Friday is diabolical. Listen, we live busy lives. And I want to quote to you what Tozer said. 
But it becomes easier, referencing the distractions in our world. It becomes easier as we look steadily at his wondrous person quietly and without strain. Distractions may hinder, but once the heart is committed to him, after each brief excursion away from him, the attention will return again and rest upon him like a wandering bird coming back to its window. In spite of the difficulties, he knows that we have set the direction of our hearts towards Jesus. And we can know it too. And our comfort, therefore, ourselves with the knowledge that a habit of soul is forming, which will become, after a while, a sort of spiritual reflex, requiring no more conscious effort on our part. And I think this is so true. As I've reflected on that quote and indeed on this word this morning, I've looked at my own life. And we're all on this journey of, aren't we, of running the race. And, and if I look back, I recognize that when I first became a Christian, my Christian walk looked a bit like a formula. If I do this and that, then this will happen. But as I matured and as I realized it was more about relationship, the more I realized that as I spent more time with him, that naturally I'd want to spend more time with him. And that as I naturally wanted to spend more time with him, my heart would naturally go there without me consciously saying to my heart, let's go there. I had genuinely seen it. My days, you know, I'm grateful to God that by his spirit, we looked at the very first week on this pursuit series. And by the way, if you've missed any of the talks, you can of course watch them online. If you're on YouTube now, why don't you click that subscribe button so you can get a notification, blah, 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 blah. But you can watch all those talks and we looked at the point that the pursuit of God is there because by his spirit, he puts that initial urge in us. And so our pursuing God is in response to the urge of God that he's placed in our hearts. And so the point here is, is that as we more and more respond to that, it does indeed become more of a spiritual reflex that if you're washing up at the sink, you find yourself going to that place of communion with him. You're nodding your head because you know it, right? And some of you are thinking, I want that. Well, you can. How? You make that one small step of saying, Jesus, I want to be with you. And then you put the time aside. And before you know it, you're building your spiritual muscles. Listen, if you want to become muscly and ripped, as goes the current vernacular, I'm sure that's the phrase. I wouldn't know about any of that, of course. But you would go to a gym, would you not? And what would you do? You would exercise your muscles. You would put effort into it and you would see the benefits thereof. And it's the same with this. If you want to exercise your spiritual muscles, you need to exercise by seeking his face. Have I made my point? So, as we gaze on Jesus, as we exercise our belief by directing our attention to him, faith builds. Now, here is where we can get a bit confused with some wrong questions. And I like where Toza takes this. We often ask ourselves this question, do I have faith or how big is my faith? And, you know, in some respects, they're valid questions. But may I, may I suggest that in the context of what we've looked at, they're maybe not the most helpful question. And the way Toza explains this is that faith is like our eyes, which see everything in front of it, but never see itself. Good point. Faith is like our, our eyes, which sees everything in front of it, but never sees itself. That is faith. You see, faith itself is not the object. 
faith is occupied with the object upon which it rests, Jesus. And so you see, while we are looking at God, we do not see ourselves. If we keep looking for faith, we'll miss the object of it. And that, I think, is sometimes the danger. I need more faith. I need more faith. Give me faith. And Jesus is saying, just look at me. Look at me. Look at me. I need more faith. I need more faith. Can you do it? Can you do it? And we just look inward. He's saying, look at me. You try and look at your eyeballs. It's difficult unless you have a mirror. Stop looking for your faith. Just look unto Jesus. And then faith comes. Wow, I like it, Tozer. Well done. You see, faith in, in itself is not the thing which has the power. The power is in the one towards whom it is directed. And that's why I think there are certain streams of Christendom that would do us a disfavor by magnifying this thing of faith to the degree that we seek faith without seeking the God with whom he gives it to us. Because what we see is faith is the thing that will enable us to get anything we want. And they have, it's so subtle. Because what has happened is they've moved Jesus out of the picture completely. And they're seeking faith more than they're seeking Jesus. And Jesus is like, well, you can have faith, just seek me. Oh, don't get me started. You've had the same coffee, good. <laughs> you see, we say we need more faith, but brothers and sisters, what we actually mean is I need more Jesus. And then faith builds. And you see, Freya mentioned this earlier as she led us so beautifully after worship. You see, what's happened is sin has twisted our vision inward and made itself regarded. That was not how it was designed to be. You see, faith looks out instead of in. And the whole of life falls into line then. You want more faith? You recognize the importance of faith? Good. Then look unto Jesus. Cultivate a lifestyle where your soul gazes upon the giver of all things and your faith will be built. I'd like to invite the band up as I um, navigate this plane to what hopefully is a soft landing. What happens, Tozer asks the question, when we dare decide to fix our eyes upon Jesus? Maybe you're here this morning and you've never done that before. Maybe you're not even a Christian and you're here saying, well, who on earth is this Jesus you're talking about? I've got no idea who this guy is. Maybe you've heard about this God and you think God is some old man in the sky with a big stick waiting to hit you over the head. And maybe because of your own parent, you know, the parent, the way you've been parented or your life experiences, you think that as soon as you cast your eyes up to God, the first thing that's going to come out of his mouth is, should have done better. Maybe your concern is, if I gaze my eyes upon God, the first thing he's going to say to me is, your life is a mess. Maybe your concern is, the first thing that God's going to say to me when I cast my eyes upon him is, you've had too many chances and you've blown it, forget it. That ain't the kind of God that we worship. And Tozer says this, when we lift our inward eyes to gaze upon God, we are sure to meet friendly eyes gazing back at us. For it is written, 
that the eyes of the Lord run to and fro throughout all the earth. The sweet language of experience is God sees me. We can gaze upon God because he's been gazing since eternity. When the eyes of the soul looking out meet the eyes of God looking in, heaven has begun right here on And the good news is, it's available to all. No equipment is required, no tests are required for you to pass, no process is required that you may forget. We simply just have to gaze our hearts upon Jesus and say yes. And since believing is looking onto Jesus, it can be done at any time. It doesn't just need to be done on Sundays. It can be done on a Monday, a Tuesday, a Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday. And lastly, place does not matter either. This place is not more special than your kitchen or home. This place isn't more special than in your car driving home. This place isn't more special than when you're in the workplace. Gazing onto Jesus happens wherever and whenever you are. Isn't that beautiful? Let us stand as I pray. Thank you, Jesus.